Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, A Port in Every Storm, The Role of Shipping Within Our Economy, we explore the intersection between real estate and shipping. Today's guest is Miles Varghese, a co-founder and CEO of CargoLogic, an all-in-one transportation logistics collaboration software company. Miles has spent a career in the shipping and logistics optimization industry and is based in Miami, Florida. Miles, welcome to the show. Welcome, Miles. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate you both having me on today. Excited to be here and to kind of shed a little bit of light on the freight forwarding world for everyone. So, Miles, tell us a bit about yourself. So uh, my parents are from India, so I'm of South Indian descent. My parents are from Kerala. They came here over in the 80s, traditional sort of poor immigrant story. Um, you know, grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida, um, specifically Wellington, Florida, uh, and then moved down to Miami, attended the University of Miami, 05 to 09, kind of bounced around a little bit and eventually uh, found myself, you know, coming out of finance and, and ended up uh, in the, uh, the shipping world and, and also the Miami Tech uh, ecosystem down here. So tell us a little bit about that. So what company um, that you, did you start and that you were a part of? Uh, how did you get into the business? What did you see the opportunity lying and the challenges that you wanted to solve with your company and your career? So the company I first started off with, I got a great shot uh, within the Miami Tech ecosystem, right? And this was back in 2014. Uh, so I, I took my first um, you know, business development role as VP of business development, a fancy title you know, that, that you get really easily at early stage startups uh, that as you grow, you, you figure out that you know, those are kind of faulty. Um, but got a shot at becoming um, you know, the vice president of business development uh, for a company called Live Ninja, which is based out of Wynwood. Uh, and my, my old CEO, Will Weinrob, is just one of these Miami Tech OGs, has been in the scene you know, from South Florida, chose not to move. Uh, out of the city um, when I would say, and I don't even know if it's still happening anymore, but but when this brain drain, right, we call it, uh, was happening where you had a lot of, you know, really talented, smart, um, you know, individuals and entrepreneurs being based here in Miami, but nothing for them to kind of do here. There wasn't so many jobs, right? There wasn't a robust ecosystem. There was only one co-working space called Lab. Uh, and uh, so I got a shot um, kind of trying to break out of this finance world uh, to go work for Will and, you know, started off as just a, uh, a very casual encounter at the lab um, where he told me in that, you know, through a friend, uh, Jose Pimienta with this company called PeopleZuft, introduced me to Will Weinraub. Uh, I hung out with Will a little bit. You know, we talked for about three months. And when I had the opportunity to join him and join his team when they pivoted to, to B2B uh, video chat. So Live Ninja was in the, the video chat customer experience space. Uh, we built video chat call centers in the cloud a little too early, probably. It went after too many verticals, um, you know, but I uh, got an opportunity to work with Will and, and to kind of enhance my career there. Uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, that uh, an investor in that company, a guy named Jose Roscoe, who's one of the, the co-founders um, you know, of .co, the domain name that they licensed from Columbia, sold the company to Newstar. You know, um, back then, a guy I respected a lot, I asked him, hey, where should I go work? I had been talking to a bunch of other you know, uh, tech companies within the Miami tech ecosystem. And this was you know, back in 2016. Um, you know, after Live Ninja had actually got acquired, it was more of an aqua hire than anything else. It was a really great learning experience. We pivoted three times. You know, we were big fish on a, on a, in, in a small pond and, and were able to get some great press and some good eyeballs and people paying attention to us, even though we were in this, I'm going to call it a second tier, you know, third tier 
um, technology ecosystem. So, um, you know, long story short, I got uh, the opportunity, um, you know, to go work uh, for this company called Octopi, um, which came after Live Ninja. And it was Jose Roscoe, uh, Hutch, this investor in Live Ninja, who connected me uh, to who would then be my, my co-founders on the next venture I was involved in, uh, called Octopi, which was bootstrapped based here in Miami, Luke Castera and, and Guille Carlos uh, won the Emerge Pitch Competition in 2016. Um, you know, and, and Hutch told me to go check them out and, and uh, we talked sales. I found out that 90% of everything comes through a container, uh, which I didn't know. Uh, you know, we kind of take that for granted as, as just regular citizens of the, of the USA. We want our two day shipping, we want our SMS updates, you know, we want our transparency and reality that's not actually happening at the B2B world and, and the majority of the supply chain is, is still running off of, you know, older systems, you know, legacy systems, pen, paper, Excel, uh, and spreadsheets like that. Um, and uh, there was an opportunity within the freight forwarding space. So at Octopi, I was in the port terminal operating system world. Uh, we were building software, you know, deploying software for port terminals, which are very complex, where kind of everything, you know, air, road, sea, kind of um, uh, ro- uh, kind of a get together and, and you know, a bunch of cargo is getting switched between different players, um, you know, and, and we're communicating with shipping lines, you know, talking to equipment, you know, uh, talking about the stacking of containers, you know, which order, you know, does the cargo go in, does it go off? Uh, so got the opportunity to, to learn a lot, you know, made a lot of friends there and then that company also was acquired. Um, and I let go to market at, at um, CargoLogic. Um, sorry, you rewind that one. That's one that I let, I let go to market at Octopi. Uh, and then, you know, we closed our first uh, 10, of, 10 to 12 deals and the rest was kind of history and we continued bootstrapping and a little over two years we were acquired. And so I spent nine months uh, working with this company out west called Navis. Um, we bootstrapped our company here in Miami, grew it to about 11 people, um, worked really hard, you know, traveled a lot, um, got in front of, got in front of uh, hesitant buyers at first and, you know, innovate, iterated with them, innovated with them, and eventually came up with a product that was focused on the small to medium market within the port world. And what I saw in CargoLogic uh, when Rocker Labs, a digital um, venture studio, reached out, was the opportunity to also have a pretty massive impact on, you know, call it the more, you know, everyday um, coordination of cargo, right? Where an importer exporting, importer or exporter is managing, you know, the movement of, of their freight. And they, when they do that, they will contract someone um, to handle it for them often. Um, and this is what an independent freight forwarder uh, or a broker does. And so uh, I saw the opportunity to kind of jump into this space and, and um, you know, also sort of modernize and give a world of legacy systems, you know, on-premise servers, um, you know, more, you know, proper SaaS customer experience, um, you know, specifically with freight forwarding, which is moving cargo from point A to point B um, and, and uh, giving, call it uh, Amazon level, you know, B2B transparency when it comes to shipments and managing all your cargo. So that's kind of how I ended up at CargoLogic. Yeah. Nice. So, so, so I, I love that story, by the way, when I asked, um, to tell us about your career. I was expecting just 15 seconds. <laughs> it is an actual okay. story. <laughs> That's the whole idea. No, but it's, no, but it's, 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 it's the passion and the progress that I love to hear. And so, you know, when, when, when we hear the word importing, exporting, I immediately go to Seinfeld. I'm thinking about, you know, Vandalay industries all of a sudden, but I mean, it's, it, but there's, there is, there is a mystery. There's an air of, um, of romance uh, and suspense associated with importing and exporting, which is probably the reason why George Cassandra uses it to pick up <laughs> women. But I think there's also some complexity and 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 um, and and clearly a lot of logistics um, um, uh, in in and we and sort of detail orientated business, right? So I'd love for you to unpack that a bit because you know you you're 
you came in into a space that, as you mentioned earlier, yeah, is very traditional and, and very basic. We take a lot of things for granted. You came in with a technology solution to solve for something that is was very low tech, in fact. Um, and you saw a problem in the market that your company solved, that 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 fundamentally solved with tech. I'm very interested to hear about that. I also want to hear more about how the industry is changing and thus the impact of what of what we know of ports, uh, what that will be to the community both today and both tomorrow. So, so, so tell us a bit about initially where the problems that you saw that your company yeah, and great, you great question, have right? And 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 thank you, um, thank you both for kind of you know unpacking this uh, and and helping me unpack it, you know, for everyone too. Um, but starting first with um, you know, I guess the, the the just the breadth, right, of, of trade um, to give everyone uh, a feel for. Uh, how much cargo was actually moved. Uh, we'll take 2020, which was actually a down year in cargo, um, more than 775 million, what's what's known as a TEU, right? Um, so most folks don't know what that is uh, unless you're in the industry, but a TEU is a 20 foot equivalent unit, um, which is basically a way to, a fancy way of saying it's a 20 foot container, right? It's a 20 foot box and two TEU is a 40 foot box, right? Which is a tractor trailer. And when you do the math on those numbers, that, that 775 million TU that were transported and handled worldwide in 2020 is actually enough to circle the globe 119 times, right? So, so just like the sheer breadth of trade and the complexity, um, you know, is, is, is kind of nuts. Uh, and then what this freight forwarder does, like I kind of mentioned before, a freight forwarder or a freight broker, uh, they're managing and coordinating the movement of freight uh, from point A to point B. And they're often doing it on behalf of their clients, right? And their clients, their customers are shippers, right? So if I'm a computer manufacturer, say I'm Origin PC here in Miami, uh, I'm exporting uh, computers uh, to Brazil, more than likely I'm going to work with uh, a freight forwarder who has one, you know, has experience working with Brazil, knows how to navigate the bureaucracy uh, and all the corruption challenges that may present themselves, knows the vendors, know who's the know who to call when things go wrong. They know the context of the port. They have the context in the trucking areas, you know, in the government if, if need be. Um, and with the with the um, the uh, the local technology, and, and they understand the local technology and the local systems uh, and the local government requirements. You know, let's say in, in Brazil, right? In this case, uh, and so you want to actually work with someone uh, who's probably been around for 10 or 15 years, and it's not going to be a DHL, it's not going to be a FedEx, right? It's not going to be some of these bigger players that we all kind of know. It's going to be a mom and pop operation. Um, you know, like the thousands that we actually have in Miami. Miami is actually one of the biggest markets um, for freight forwarding and, and customs brokerages. And then these third party, right, that's often referred to as the middlemen, um, right, when you're exporting and you're importing and you're moving cargo by air, land, sea, and rail, uh, there's a lot of things that do and a lot of things that will go wrong, you know, especially now uh, when you've got, you know, the acceleration of e-commerce and the supply chain in flux. So what we're doing at CargoLogic is basically helping these independent businesses, right, call them mom and pops, we're helping these independent, you know, international freight forwarders uh, stay better in sync, improve operations, and collaborate uh, with their customers, their shippers. And a good way to kind of visualize also for everyone to sort of understand what CargoLogic is and how it works, it's almost like a Slack or a Microsoft Teams with a customer experience-focused operating layer. So there's a little bit of a CRM in there, a little bit of an ERP in there. Um, but but I would say in terms of what we do, we're providing uh, freight collaboration uh, and communication more trim where when they're you know coordinating and moving that freight you know ideally on time and on budget um everyone is kind of in line everyone has the latest updates when things go wrong everyone is instantly alerted 
you know, if a new issue comes up or a new update, you know, to the timeline saying, hey, the, the cargo has reached the port, you often want to know about that, right? You're kind of religiously hounding and looking at your phone, you know, waiting for updates. And so our system kind of simplifies that, that sort of commercial interaction um, where we're just helping both parties, um, you know, have all their logistics timelines in one place, have all their documents stored, all their clearance documents in one place and all their communication in one place. So now you've got this lightweight system of record, kind of keeping track of everything, uh, alerting everyone on what it is that they're doing. Uh, and so um, we're, we're, we are taking these independent players often uh, off pen and paper, uh, Excel or a transportation management system that, you know, TMS as it's referred to in the industry that's been around for you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, and essentially uh, we're providing a lightweight SaaS, you know, cloud version uh, of the software um, that can integrate with your systems, correct? So Miles, uh, it sounds like it was a bit of a mess before these type of software solutions and freight forwarding solutions came into play and were needed. I mean, I think of containers, all I think of is those big ships coming out of the ports in Miami and going through government cut. And I'm just amazed, number one, these ships can float. And number two, that these cargoes, these containers don't fall off the side. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's an amazing process. But tell us a little bit about what exactly was it like before these solutions came in and now with solutions like yours uh, that allow a more streamlined process to keep an eye on, the, on your on containers to know where they are. How does that benefit the customer, either financially or in terms of time? And how does that benefit someone like me, the consumer, in terms of that movement of product? Does it allow the product to go quicker or more efficiently? Is less lost? Is there less... Is there less uh, uh, slippage in terms of product? How, how does all that play into uh, Miami or myself or the company? Yeah, so, so a little bit of all of the above, um, you know, actually some, some, strong, some strong supply chain, um, you know, insights there, I think. Um, but um, before CargoLogic, you know, you're seeing, I guess, in, in the market as a whole, you know, the majority of the players that are moving cargo, I'd probably say it's like 60, 40, 60% of, of the world's cargo is being moved um, by independent players that are not DHL, FedEx, you know, Flexport, you know, Kuninago, right? And, and all these bigger companies uh, that exist and it's, and it's moving and being managed by these smaller players, right? Called the mom and pop operations around the globe and in, in every country. And we're, you know, we're fortunate and proud enough, you know, to, to, to have a, to, we have over 200 customers that have signed up. It is freemium, uh, but over 200 customers on the platform uh, across 150 countries, right? So if you think about just the breadth of, you know, um, coordination that's required, um, let's, let's say even, even as a regular you know, person, say you're moving, you know, internationally. And if you think about all the, like the nuanced steps that, that are required, you know, getting quotes, checking vendors, you know, asking for recommendations, you know, uh, booking the time, booking the date, making sure that the truck, you know, arrives on time, um, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Language, right? language issues, right? The language Correct. issues alone. Yeah. And there's different, you know, variances too. you know, the model itself, you know, the freight 40 model will vary, right? It's it, at its core, it's the same. But if you, you know, if you're in Miami, um, you know, a freight forwarding business is probably going to operate one way through through a, a generalized workflow that's going to be different from what it looks like in Toronto, which is going to be different from what it looks like in Brazil, in Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Nigeria, uh, in Lagos, you know, where we, we landed some customers too. Uh, you know, so this, so 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 just by nature, right? You've got a lot of these variances in in um, you know customs trade compliance regulation systems that, you know, need to be um, kept in tune, right, with what, what's doing, uh, with what's happening with the cargo and, and taxes, right, and, and your insurances and things like that, insuring the cargo, 
um, you know, making sure that, um, you know, you're getting the best rate possible um, in, in the shipping world because everything is fluctuating right now. As everyone knows, you know, the, the costs are, are sort of skyrocketing, especially on the air side. Um, you know, C is taking forever. Um, del- delays are expected across the board. You know, that's interesting because I, I want to just jump in on t- on that because, you know, there's there's obviously there's the land and sea uh, and air, you know, shipping business, um, you know, and the, the sea because, you know, the port of Miami and is a bunch of major ports in, in the United States. I think, you know, the big one in Baltimore is obviously a big one here in Miami, also in Long Beach, California, and I'm sure a few other places, right? But, you know, the general consumer, the general um, citizen of the United States basically has no idea um, what that looks like, right? And the the science and tech that goes in, that gets involved with getting um, your your sneakers um, uh, to your door, right, at, at twelve o'clock in the afternoon, right? So, but at the same time, you know, we we all see these movies of. You know whether or not it's narcos. And, you know you open a container, you think it's one thing, and next thing you know it's potatoes, and everyone's aghast and shocked that you know <laughs> that, that, that that there's something in there that they didn't know about, or there's people getting thrown into containers. People are killing each other over containers. I mean, it's a lot of things that people assume that happens at the docks that is unknown um, uh, to the public, right? Or or like you know the police don't even know yeah. what's going on, right? So. But that's far from the truth because there's so much tech associated with it that people know everything. So can you what where how can we demystify the shipping and container business um, for our listeners to to send you know how do we let people know that you know what's actually happening at the ground level is actually smart is actually sophisticated and actually working. Yeah, so I would say, you know, the the closest, you know, we're, we're, you know, primarily focused on B2B, right? But, you know, that B for in our B2B, right? So we're aiming our, we're aiming CargoLogic at freight forwarders. Uh, the platform is built for freight forwarders and their shippers, right? And the clients that, that, that make up their portfolio. Uh, and so our system allows the freight forwarder to kind of have that Amazon-like experience, right? So comparing this to the consumer, we're at the B2B level, we're providing uh, these businesses, right? These mom and pop shippers and their customers with a digital customer experience interface, which is more akin to what you see in a DHL, FedEx, right? And an Amazon um, and, and kind of unlocking that and opening it up for these smaller players and these smaller operations to also have access to um, beautiful logistics timelines with updates, SMS notifications, all your communication in one place, all your documents in one place. So you're not searching for, you know, through, through my Google Drive and your, your Dropbox. You're not, you know, searching through, you know, your WhatsApp messages, your WeChat messages, especially if you're international, your SMSs. Um, you're getting way too many emails, calls, you know, texts all the time from your loyal customers. Um, so I guess, you know, the closest we get to the customer um, is that, you know, and we're aimed at the entire supply chain, right? So, so getting the, you know, that pair of slippers, right? Those, those Nike slips, which I just got um, this past week uh, to your door, um, you know, it took a lot, right? And, 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 and it's almost like, it's almost miraculous that it made it to your door on time. Uh, it's really difficult to kind of have that, um, that type of, uh, you know, delivery. Uh, Nike's just a beast. They've been doing it and their supply chains are strong and their, their organizations have, have been around for a long time and they have the, the money to invest in all these different supply chains, right? So they're going to be able to get your goods on time. But if you're a startup, right, let's say you're, you're a, a direct to consumer, let's say, uh, you know, and there's a, a company, um, that, 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 that was pretty interesting where they were sending you a sofa uh, and guaranteeing that you'd get that sofa within five days 
now, I mean, that promise yeah, that never that happens. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, yeah. right? But, Furniture, but the, yeah. ten week wait. <laughs> yeah, and, and even before you know the crisis, right? You'd go to West Elm or you go to you know CB two, and you say, hey, I want you know I want that sofa. I've been waiting for it. You know, I save my money up. I want that sofa, right? And then you go to the checkout counter or you flag someone down and say, hey, like I want this sofa. I want the Haven. I want the forty inch. You know, I want the left chaise. Um, what's the wait going to be like, you know, I'm ready to pay you today, right? Can I get this tomorrow? Like, can you deliver it, you know, day after tomorrow? We're we talking two day delivery. No, we're talking 10 week, you know, 12 week delivery at best um, because these bigger companies, you know, don't have the ability to do that. And, and most supply chains can't send you a couch, you know, within two days. But so let's talk about the industry a little bit. Um, you made a comment earlier that I thought was very interesting. You said 2020 was a down year. I thought and everybody I speak to thought that 2020 was an explosion in shipping because everyone was stuck at home and nobody was shopping themselves. And so people like Amazon were just coining it in shipping. What did you mean when you said it was a down year? Is that an erroneous understanding that it was an up year for the companies that ship worldwide? Yeah, it's it's very complex, right? And and, and I think at you know surface level, you, you kind of naturally assume that, but actually I believe uh, as of this year, and, and I needed to, you know, I wish I knew the exact date, but um, I think within the last one or two months, uh, a report came out that showed uh, Amazon lost market share for the first time in 20 years, right? Like, just think about that. For 20 years, this public public company hasn't, you know, has has gained market share, uh, and then for the first time, they lost market share, and that's also, uh, you know, thanks to the rise of these uh, e-commerce marketplaces and the CMS systems, where anyone can start an e-commerce brand from scratch, and and thus you have Shopify mainly um, that's slowly eating into the market share of Amazon because you know, kind of uh, the Amazon box has been you know, open, right? Everyone sort of knows that, you know, they're pretty aggressive in, in, in their tactics and, and, you know, um, and I don't have any direct experience working with them, but, you know, I've talked to folks and you've heard uh, of, of shady dealings and, and, and questionable practices uh, and how, you know, they really dominate, right? And, and maybe as a smaller brand, you know, dealing with a behemoth like Amazon probably isn't going to be uh, in your favor. Um, so for us um, and, and for the customer, and I guess for the customers at large, yeah, you know, e-commerce, you know, uh, has been up, uh, but also those delays have been up, right? All the supply chain delays also have gone up, um, you know, you know, Suez aside, right? COVID, um, just everything was sort of in flux. And so the total amount of goods uh, that was moved actually significantly went down. And, you know, probably those goods, you know, like the, the, the number would have been higher, but there was a shortage of, of timber, right? And, and uh, there's so many different sort of like economic nuances that kind of come in with the supply chain. Um, where you know probably a lot more goods could have been moved had not all this you know this, these crazy situations ar ar arose, uh, so it actually went down uh, you know in 2020 uh, at, 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 in aggregate, um, which doesn't seem to be the case, right? But um, but the behavior has changed, uh, consumption changed. Yeah, you know you mentioned the Suez, right? That's I mean I don't think most people really understood or really kind of got the grasp of the impact of the 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 cargo container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal in uh in early this year. And I think every everyone that was freaking out about it, but I think the the average consumer was like, well what I don't understand what one shipping container being stuck in the canal means for 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 me, right? And I think I think from a standpoint like we we don't realize just how much stuff um, that we consume on a daily basis is sitting on a, in a container in the ocean someplace, right? At any given time. And whether or not it's on the ocean, whether or not it's in a plane, whether or not it's on in a truck, 
we just don't think about how it gets to, to, to our doors. We just want it to get there and we want it to be able, we want it to be trackable. We want it to be there on time, et cetera. And so there's a massive industry of, uh, and people and <clears throat> communities and jobs and families and all that, that, that depend on shipping. So, I, I mean, it's almost like the lifeblood of our civilization, right? That that we're talking about here, and and I think people don't necessarily realize how massive and how important it is to to our lives. Yeah, absolutely, right. And 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 uh, I'm glad you brought that up too, right? And, and you know, there were so many awesome memes. You know, uh, we were loving it here at Cargo Logic, and you know, all of our you know uh, fellow uh, colleagues and, and and other startups were loving it because it also brought a lot of light, uh, and and you started seeing you know pretty strong. I mean, Wall Street Journal has always been great at logistics, um, but I think a lot of these major, um, you know, media companies have been able to get the word out there. And I think a lot of people paid attention um, because it was one of those things where it's like a unified global sort of shit, you know, like type of moment. You know, we're all sort of, we're sort of screwed, right? Um, you know, for the most part, uh, unless you had this, uh, like a ridiculous supply chain. Um, but I believe uh, the, the Suez Canal is, is, you know, and canals in general, right, are, are choke points, you know, it's by nature. And the Suez Canal c connects, you know, Europe and Asia. So, you know, luckily we didn't, I, I don't think, um, you know, and, and, you know, we probably need a supply chain consultant to tell you like the exact numbers, but I don't think we felt it as much, uh, right? And, and, and it, it affected for sure a couple percentage points, right? The, the global, you know, supply chain and slowed things down. Um, but more specifically, I think, you know, when it came to the Europe-Asia trade, they felt it a lot more, uh, especially on the e-commerce side, um, you know, where, uh, you know, you're also seeing a lot of delays on e-commerce, um, you know, for more of the European consumers. So, so fortunately, you know, we um, are, are kind of uh, in a different position, right? And, and this like kind of goes to tell you like different regions, you know, have, you know, their different impacts that, that are felt. And then for the supply chain in general, you know, you have this bullwhip effect um, where you're, you don't really feel it, um, you know, down the chain, right? Uh, like like uh, the, the higher up you go, actually, the, the, the fluctuations, um, right? The, the raw materials and things like that and, and getting those raw materials to where they, they need to be, being able to predict and know what demand is and allocate accordingly, it becomes next to impossible. Well, it's interesting um, you say that because one of the big issues in the car industry now is because they had moved to just-in-time inventory in the 80s, uh, then when we, all these uh, chip manufacturers were being uh, sold into uh, computer devices and phones and laptops and people were stuck at home, all of a sudden the cars couldn't get any chips and now you can't get a new car because they're all backed up for the chips. But I got to tell you, how would you like to be the captain of that ship that got stuck at his next job interview? <laughs> yeah. So tell us about your recent experiences. Guy got stuck in a canal. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand how you can ever explain that. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of winds and waves and uh, took my eye off the ball for a second there. Just a second. <laughs> yeah. And there was a there was a there was a there was a game also. Um, and I think it was it could be Washington Post. I'm trying to trying to figure out where it was now. But there was actually a game where, you know, it kind of simulated just where you were using the arrows and then you'd plug in the conditions of like, you know, wind speed, you know, current speed. And they just kind of had a map of like this little dot that you're supposed to navigate through the canal. Uh, and, and you just do it with like tapping on it. You're like, oh, I got this, right? And then the, the vessel starts moving and you start tapping left and then it takes a second to go left. And then, you know, you tap on left too much, it starts veering to the left. Then you tap on the right and then, you know, it starts veering too much to the right. Uh, you know, so um, it's a very difficult, um, 
you know, to kind of place blame solely on the, the pilot for what that may be worth. But I think there was a variety of factors where I think, you know, the wind speed and you know, current speed and, and probably the general management, um, you know, all sort of had, you know, a hand in it, uh, along with the, the pilot, right, who's ultimately in charge of the vessel uh, and, and who can make, you know, I call it counter calls and say, hey, we're not going to do that. Yeah, imagine that. Imagine, imagine that phone call he's got to make. Yeah. Hey, boss. Yeah. You got a second. Uh, got a bit of an issue. Yeah, I think I think I think it was a, there was a bottle of scotch probably that was involved. Yeah. And imagine, you know, being that pilot, you know, having to make that call right in like in, in you know, his or her heart. You know, being like, you know what, I, I knew I knew this was a bad idea, right? But like the 30 people that I have to work with all told me that we could do this and to go ahead and proceed uh, as usual. Right? You know, I don't know, you know, I'm not a pilot, so I don't know if he was proceeding, quote unquote, as usual. Um, but um, just just another thing to kind of uh, factor in when it comes to the complexity of the supply chain, the complexities, you know, go down even to the ship level. Well, with these complexities in the chain, uh, uh, and you made a comment that there are so many small, medium-sized independent players in the industry, uh, is it a benefit for us as a consumer to have more consolidation or more of the bigger players like Amazon or FedEx or DHL, anybody you're talking about, to be kind of running these logistics of moving product from place to place? Or do we benefit more in terms of pricing and choice uh, by having all these small and medium-sized players in the freight forwarding business or in the or in the production business or in the production of the goods that get that get forwarded? What do you think? I think I, I think I mean it's it's definitely the latter, right? You know, having more choices, right, uh, more freedom. I call it, you know, just good old fashioned, you know, capitalism uh, and, and competition um, just makes for a better market, right? And technology by its role should make things cheaper, better and faster. And that's what we're doing here uh, at CargoLogic uh, as well, because even our, um, we'll call them indirect competitors because we're focused on freight collaboration communication. We're not a transportation management system or warehouse management system or cargo operating system or anything like that. We're focused you know, hyper-focused on the customer experience layer and, and allowing any party actually. So, so yes, we're focused on the freight forward and the shipper, but there's no reason why a freight forwarder can't invite one of their partners or they can't invite their, their import customs broker or, you know, the trucking company that they work with to also join them on our platform and to post updates to the timeline, right? So we literally can have everyone in sync and then we can provide that at the base level, right? Where you can work with, you know, going back to that, that computer, um, you know, uh, exp explanation, that example uh, that I gave with Origin PC, you know, here in Miami, um, they want to be able to move cargo, right? And, and they want people to know about them, right? But, you know, uh, if, if you're a small, you know, boutique operation, um, you usually want to work with someone, again, right, who knows and has specialization, who has expertise, who has experience, who has goodwill, right, who, who, who knows people up and down the supply chain and who can, you know, make the call and know who to call and what to do, uh, you know, when shit hits the fan, right, when that propeller blade falls off the, the military helicopter en route to Guantanamo, right, and the government's using, you know, a contractor, a forder, you know, to, to, to move it. Right. Who are they going to call? Like, like, who are you going to helicopter ask? blade? Helicopter blade goes off the helicopter. I think they're more worried about other things than what. Yeah, I exactly. I read somewhere that the shipping industry overbuilt, I think it was in the 80s or 90s, and are now hesitant to bring more ships online. Uh, as more business is going shipping instead of air because of, as you mentioned, the higher cost of air, which has exploded. 
what is the shipping industry doing to accommodate that higher demand? And as a port, for example, in Miami, how do they expand to accommodate more ships? Are they limited by real estate, by cranes, uh, you know, by, by, uh, by, um, by the city not allowing them to take on more land for the port? How does the growth in shipping in, by sea uh, play out? Yeah, great question. Okay, so, so uh, in terms of uh, overcapacity, um, absolutely something that I would say the the large you know top 20 operators have been struggling with and and um dealing with for a long time and uh before this crisis right there was you know as you know blank sailings which basically mean there's nothing on the ship right um or we're we're cutting off um you know we're cutting off this uh this stop in this port right and you saw a lot of that happening you know because they're not going to lose money, right? They're not going to just keep running a trade lane, right? If, if there's no cargo or they're going to lose money on it, they'll cancel it. They'll say, hey, guess what? We're not coming to Guayaquil, uh, you know, next month uh, from Europe. And instead, you know, you're going to have to route your, get your cargo over to a transshipment hub. And then uh, then we'll pick it up from there, right? So um, so there's different, um, you know, uh, different ways in which to deal with the capacity. I would say structurally, you know, you do have the concept of having, you know, these larger trade lanes and smaller regional shipping lines and, and transshipment hubs, which are which are also trending and, and becoming more and more important. Um, you know, in, in Kingston, Jamaica is a big transshipment hub, Panama as well, you know, along the Panama Canal and all those terminals, you know, a lot of goods, you know, will end up, you know, landing there from the bigger carriers and a smaller carrier will come and grab it. So so that's one way in which you know, you're sort of seeing um, these these hubs, right, these secondary hubs kind of um, getting getting um, getting more important and, and these regional liners getting more important. And also, you know, have also seen a lot of consolidation too within the liners where, you know, Maersk, you know, acquiring Sealand, for example, uh, or, or CMA acquiring APL, right? These are, are big uh, acquisitions, but, you know, these are arguably, you know, second tier, um, you know, uh, competitors of theirs, right? Or, or, or complementors, um, you know, in, in order to help them aggregate demand. And, and uh, you know, absolutely, they, they overbuilt a little bit um, you know, because there's also, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't, and I'm not a shipbuilder, right? Nor do I work for a shipping line, but I'd imagine, right? Um, if you had the opportunity to have the biggest ship in the game uh, and be able to market that and uh, to to tell people about that, you know, you probably want to do that, right? So you're kind of wanting to push, right, the boundaries of of what's possible with technology and to build bigger ships and and order more of those bigger, you know, more more technologically advanced ships, um, you know, and but keep luckily, them out of the and keep them out of the Suez Canal. Correct. Right. You know, because like you constantly have to, so they're always playing a game, right? Like, and, and these bigger liners will also have to, will also scrap vessels. Right. And, and I think, you know, you saw um, even younger vessels um, being scrapped and, and being sent to, um, you know, ports and facilities like in India or in China, for example, you know, to be dismantled and, and broken down, you know, uh, for their, for their raw materials and their goods. Um, well, maybe we can turn them into these luxury, luxury boats for these uh, billionaires all over the world. Um, Miles, your your comments about the industry and about the technology have been really interesting. Um, before we let you go, I did have to ask you one question, pivoting a little bit here. Uh, in your background at the beginning of the show, you mentioned how you were how you were kind of growing in the tech industry and going from startup to startup. And I think maybe people, not everyone, our listeners is aware, one of the driving growths of this new Miami and this spurt of growth we're seeing in terms of people coming down here is the incredible growth in the tech industry. Uh, you've been here long enough uh, to have seen just a couple of couple of seconds. Uh, have you seen this growth? And have, are you are you in the middle of of this spurt of, of a new industry expanding here in Miami? Absolutely. Um, you know, so I mean, there were already logistics companies here in Miami um, and, and, and some funding events. And I feel like, um, 
you know that's that has taken off over these last couple of years and and uh companies have you know raised significant amounts of funding at, at earlier levels and and you know so so that's a part of it you're seeing you know outside investment and and structurally with the miami tech you know called miami tech you know rush or, or this this wave um you know you're finding um where historically you weren't finding uh vcs and angels right you're getting invited to private dinners right on South Beach. And, you know, you're sitting down with a couple of entrepreneurs and, you know, a financial advisor, you know, a guy who, who manages a bank um, that's really good, um, you know, and uh, they're just curating, right? They're new themselves. They're coming in from New York. They're coming in from San Francisco. Um, you know, I met another uh, angel that I'm, that I'm courting. Uh, he's spending, you know, six months uh, of the year, just bought a place here in Miami, spending six months of his year in Freight Alley, uh, you know, in Tennessee, in Chattanooga. And then six months in Miami, just bouncing back and forth, you know, as he runs his company uh, as well. So, so which you don't is doing really... wonders to the real estate market in Miami, by the way. I don't know if anybody's. It's just exploded here. I think five years of growth in five months. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of wild, you know. So what goes up must come down eventually, you know. So hopefully the the fall isn't isn't too bad, but but it certainly seems like you know this rush is going to be sustained, and and a lot of you know programs and 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 Silicon Valley. Kind of magnates, you know, uh, like Founders Fund, for example, is here in Wynwood. Uh, Atomic, another venture building company, um, you know, just came in Wynwood, and these are like companies that have built and you know billion dollar companies that have built and and have had prior successes, you know, investing in Uber, you know, investing in Instagram, investing in Facebook, you know, in early days, uh, and now they're here, and, and not only are they here, but they're accessible, and you're gonna you know see a founder, you know, a, or like a, of one of these these uh, these. You know, it could be a, one of these funds or, or uh, one of these venture builders, you know, these billionaires, and they're just having meetings and having coffee just like everyone else, you know, at the table next door, uh, at the table next to you at, at Panther Coffee, uh, you know. Yeah. So, that, so you know, so that's one of the things that I find to be to be fascinating about about any city for that matter, right? And one of the things about New York being the collision of ideas and individuals and businesses and all that kind of stuff makes New York great. Mm -hmm. Um and that ultimately will, will drive the growth in Florida. Uh, what's also unique about Florida is that when I first came down to Florida about a couple of years ago, I would ask, you know, what's the industry in Florida, in Miami? And, and people were like, well, it's a little real estate. Um, it's shipping. You know, it's, it's, so, so everyone, did, there wasn't really an industry that people, tourism, people really, people really could sort of focus on. And I think that hopefully it will be a combination of the above, maybe tech, who knows. But I think um, what, what it's hard to ignore is the skyline, both of real estate and of the ships that come and the port basically come in and out of Miami. And so I think that your perspective today has been really interesting in kind of getting us, I think basically scratching the surface is as to what's happening behind the scenes to such a massive industry that is pretty much as old as time, right? Um, that is both the driving force of Miami uh, and the Miami economy and also the driving force of the world, right? And I mean, looking at Amazon basically eats the world with their logistics and shipping business. So thank you for the opportunity to be able to share with us and our audience and our listeners um, a little bit of that insight. I love your company. I love how you think you're thinking about solving some of the logistics issues in the industry. I'm sure there's tons of inefficiencies that both can be solved by the work that you guys are doing and at the same time by the work that many other businesses and companies are doing around the world. So thank you for both your contribution to to our to our our livelihood. Uh, clearly, um, I'm waiting on a pair of new sneakers myself at this moment. So hopefully um, it will get here sooner than later. Um, Closer than a quicker than a couch I hope. <laughs> right. um, and and also thank you for taking the time to talk with us today um jamie 
Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Miles. It's been a pleasure to hear about your insights. It's been a pleasure to hear uh, the, about the success of your of your company, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to to hearing more about you. Thank you, thank you, guys. Appreciate it, and, and like I said, you know, grateful for the opportunity, and and, and also, you know, grateful for for you guys, um, you know, shedding light uh, onto, onto these niches and, and having real conversations. Um, that are just going to educate the masses, right? Which is, you know, I guess what we're doing, uh, you know, focus on this freight forwarding, um, you know, and, and, and customs brokerage and freight brokerage level. Uh, and, and thank you guys for for giving us a voice and helping us fulfill our mission, um, you know, which is, again, is at the end of the day, it's just, it's just, you know, facilitating trade, fostering collaboration. You want to move more cargo between parties, you know, in the supply chain, you know, get cargo logic, get the transparency that you need. Uh, and if you guys got any referrals, right, especially in the development world, bring them over right or, or the uh you know the showbiz the showbiz game right you still got to move cargo everyone's moving cargo at the end of the day um you know so send them our way guys <laughs> thank you so much miles it's been a real pleasure no you've been listening to the real estate podcast give us a quick review and rating on itunes check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address we love hearing your feedback see you next week Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.